Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. My daughter is obsessed with learning. She's a sponge. She's three years old now, and she makes her mommy spend at least a couple hours a day teaching her new concepts, new songs, new words, all of it. She can't get enough. Whenever my wife and I are having a conversation in the van, and the kids are listening to their music in the back, a new song will come up on the playlist, and she'll always interrupt us, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, what's this song called? What's this song called? What's this song? And she will not stop asking until we stop what we're talking about and turn around and tell her. She wants to be taught. She won't stop asking until we stop talking and we turn around and tell her. She wants that instruction. She craves it. But as easy as all of that is coming to her now, I can remember just not too long ago, perhaps my most difficult struggle in teaching her something. It's not that hard to remember. And it taught me something about the human condition. It was almost impossible to teach her how to ask for help. That was the hardest thing I have ever had to teach her. We have ever had to teach her. She would refuse. She wanted to do it herself. She didn't want to be helped by mom and dad. It's funny now, but it was a very real struggle. It was difficult. We're born that way, you know. We're born with this condition called sin. Meaning that we are by nature turned away from God. We are inclined towards ourselves. And we refuse His help by nature. This is why we're in the mess that we're in. It's why there's wars. It's why there's rumors of wars. Plagues and famines, death and destruction. It's because we prefer to be left to ourselves rather than to be helped by God. That is our preference as mankind. We would rather be left to ourselves than to be helped by God. But the good news is that God will not give up on us any more than we would give up on teaching our daughter to depend on us and to ask us for help. So if we are sinful and imperfect parents who want the best for our children, how much more does our Heavenly Father want for us? And this is the picture that we see with Jesus in Luke chapter 13. We're going to see two sides to Jesus in this Gospel lesson. We see the harsh side and we see the tender side. And as we continue this Lenten journey towards the cross, Today we are going to see Jesus' heart for us and His heart for the whole world. He had been in the middle of teaching some parables and doing some healings. This was typical stuff that Jesus did in His ministry. And He was approached by this group of Pharisees who told Him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. The motives of these Pharisees are unclear. Jesus is not in Jerusalem at this point. So these would not have been the same Pharisees that had him put to death. It's possible that the ones in this passage were concerned for Jesus, just like they might be concerned for anyone else. Maybe they genuinely wanted to warn him. It's also possible that they would have wanted him into Jerusalem where the Sanhedrin were and that they could exercise more control over his ministry. We don't know for sure. 
Their motives probably weren't good. But they had received word from Herod's camp, this mad king wanted Jesus dead. Herod Antipas was the tetrarch of the regions of Perea and Galilee. He had had John the Baptist beheaded at the request of his wife's daughter, this young girl who danced sensuously in front of him. John the Baptist had called out Herod's incestuous relationship with his brother's wife. It was complicated. But Herodias, the wife, she didn't like that. She didn't like John the Baptist calling out their relationship. And so so she had her daughter ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. One commentator says that Herod was being driven by the furies of an evil conscience. Whether Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected or not, he was in the way. Jesus was in the way. Whatever it was that Jesus was up to in his ministry, Herod wanted him gone. But it's not Jesus who was going to leave. He tells the Pharisees to beat their feet. Get lost. You go on a journey. You go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. What is Jesus getting at calling Herod a fox? Well, the meaning of fox in this context, the one that we're most familiar with, is cunning, sly, crafty, right? Deceitful. And Herod embodied those things. He was those things. There's a couple of other connotations to keep in mind. In the Song of Solomon, in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon chapter 2, it says that foxes are destroyers of God's vineyard. And then also to the Jewish mind, Another meaning of the word fox was imposter. Imposter. So in other words, this mad king was not going to defy Jesus because who is the true king? Jesus. Herod was just playing at being king. And it was his messianic work, Jesus' messianic work that testified to his kingly authority. No matter what plans people had for Jesus, No matter all the other plans and schemes they had for him, he was going to finish the course that was before him. The kingdom of God was there in the person of Jesus Christ, and it was evidenced by this casting out of demons, by the laying on of hands and the healing and the cures, the miracles. And that was just a preview, just a thumbnail of what Jesus was going to do and accomplish for all people in going to the cross. He said, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. In other words, no matter what, Jesus was going to do what the Father had given for him to do according to his plan and his timing. So no, Herod, Jesus will not go away from here. Jesus is not going to go into Jerusalem right now because his time has not yet come. But it will. He would eventually go into Jerusalem willingly. He would go willingly into that place that kills prophets. He would go willingly into that place that would nail him to a cross so that he would die a sinner's death, so that he would be raised on the third day, completing that work that his father had given him to do. 
And he was going to do that for you and me, but only according to the Father's time. So this is the harsh side of Jesus coming out. In this moment, Jesus is terse. He's, he's intense. He's defensive, but not in a way that is sinful. Notice here, that, notice here the thing that gets Jesus worked up. Think about the things in your life that make you worked up. Well, this is what gets Jesus worked up. Anyone or anything that would get in the way of him accomplishing what he set out to do. Any of those things need to be rebuked. Political leaders want to get in the way. Political leaders want to stop God's kingdom from coming. Jesus doesn't have time for it. This should make us grateful, by the way, that we live in a country in which we're free to preach the gospel. We're free to speak Jesus' word for now. There's probably coming a time in which we won't have that same freedom. The leaders of this world do not want a king to answer to. They don't want a king to compete with. So whether it's in this generation or the next, the leaders of this world will try to silence the preaching of the church. But we must not keep silent. We must go on preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins through faith in the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus was so adamant about. He was adamant about His work. He was so intent on accomplishing what He went to accomplish that, you know what, whenever Peter said that that wouldn't happen to him, what did Jesus call him? Satan. He called his best friend Satan. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about the Father's plan. That's how intense Jesus was about His work. And just as stern and, and sharp as Jesus is, as intense as He is when it comes to these usurpers of His authority, He quickly turns tender and soft towards those He loves. And when He's thinking about this work that He's going to accomplish in Jerusalem, He's overcome with sorrow. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So when a hen or, or, or most any female bird for that matter senses danger, she will gather those little chicks together. She will put them under her wings for protection. I couldn't resist. I had to have one. I'm a chicken guy. Uh, I, I raise chickens. And so she will gather these chickens, uh, these little chicks, and put them under her wings for protection. You see, there's a very real danger coming for a world in bondage to sin and death. God's wrath is going to be poured out against all unrighteousness, against all evil, and Jesus earnestly wants to protect Jerusalem from it. He wants to protect them. That city that had built this reputation for killing prophets. They had that reputation because every time God raised someone up to go preach the law to them, to go preach hard words of repentance, they didn't want to hear it. They would rather have helped themselves. They were fine the way they were. Thank you very much. 
And now here is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophetic office. He is the prophet par excellence. He is the ultimate prophet. And here he is. Preaching repentance and faith in his name so that they would be spared the wrath of God. Jesus desperately wants to help them, but they are unwilling. They rejected him as God's Messiah, and therefore their house was forsaken. The city would be destroyed in 70 AD. This is Jesus' heart for sinners, brothers and sisters. He earnestly longs for us to be helped by Him. And not just us, but the whole world. The world is scrambling around like wayward chicks. Not knowing what to do. The Lord Jesus wants to gather them all, but their stubborn, hardened hearts lead them to refuse His help. The sad truth is that the call to repent of sins and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life and salvation, it goes out to all, but it is often resisted. And the grace of God is resistible because it comes to us through means. Words on a page. Words in the mouth of a preacher, a a, a sinful preacher. Water, bread, wine. God's grace comes to us through means, and so therefore we can resist it. So we must think about our community and the world that we live in in this way. Let me get real with you. It is not that people are bored by church. Or it's not that they would attend church more often if we would just do more exciting stuff. Or if we would just be relevant. It's that they do not want to be helped by Jesus. Plain and simple. If we understand it that way, then we can stop worrying about trying novel things. We can stop worrying about the next trend. We can just be the church and we can know how to pray for those who resist Jesus. We can know better maybe how to reach out to people who resist Jesus. We can pray that their hardened wills might be overcome by His grace so that they too would come to faith, not by their own reason or strength, but by the Holy Spirit as He calls them by the gospel. You are here because you have been called by the gospel. You are here because you've been enlightened by His gifts. You've been sanctified and kept in the one true faith. You are here Because you have not resisted the grace of God, but you have been brought to faith in Jesus who has gathered you under His wings to save you from the wrath of God, from sin, death, and the devil. That's why you're here. The grace of God has overcome the hardness of your heart. You've been made one of Christ's sheep. And yet, even as a Christian, there are times when we refuse Jesus' help, isn't there? Is Jesus teaching you to ask him for help today? Is that one of the hardest lessons that he has to teach you? Why do you think that is? Because we're stubborn. Because we think we can do it on our own. Think about, think about the 
anecdote I shared about my daughter. That's our default setting. We're stubborn. We don't want help. But I'm here to tell you that we can't do it apart from His help. We can't live the Christian life. We can't go through this life without His help. And my daughter has finally learned that she can ask mommy and daddy for help anytime and that we're delighted to help her. Christians, where are you refusing Jesus' help? Where is it? Is there a sin that you feel ashamed about that remains unconfessed, undealt with? You just bury it? Is it burdening your conscience? Is there unforgiveness in your heart towards a family member? What is it? The Lord Jesus laments those things just as much as you do. But He wants to help you with them. He wants to bring God's gracious intervention into your life so that you do not have to carry that heavy burden. He wants to give you His gospel promise that He loves you that He is for you no matter how sinful and messed up your life is. To get practical, is there something that you want to talk with me about? Is there something that you need to talk with a Christian friend about? Do you need care and support? Do you need accountability and discipline? This church this community of believers is here to walk beside you because the ministry of Jesus continues and it will not stop until he has gathered his brood from the ends of the earth. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.